0: This episode of Clever is brought to you by Braun.
1: What design and culture needs to do today is I think to bring awareness of like why do I use products and what is my relationship to it.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. For this special Clever Extra, I'm talking to Oliver Grabes, head of design at iconic design company Braun. Braun is one of those brands that you know and love, possibly for the enduring and innovative pieces that have become design legends, or most likely because you own one of their kitchen appliances or grooming tools and you've had it for so long that you're bonded with it and it's become a reliable and trustworthy feature of your life that still looks good on your counter. Braun is turning 100 this year, so I was excited to sit down with Oliver to get an exploded view of just how Braun does it. In the world of product design, they've created their own lane, one that makes a direct route from innovation to icon while simultaneously paving the road in front of them for the future and maintaining the legacy built on trust, simplicity, and integrity that makes the whole ride a joy and elevates the entire field of design. This year, Braun is hosting their 21st Braun Prize International Design Competition for Young Designers, Inventors, and Students with the theme of Shape Tomorrow. Oliver shares how Braun is investing in the future of design by supporting young designers, listening to the younger generation's needs and concerns through a global survey of 18 to 24-year-olds, and inviting an inclusive array of perspectives through collaboration, including a stereo remix with none other than Virgil Abloh. Here's Oliver.
1: Oliver Graves, uh, living in Frankfurt, Germany, head of design team at Braun. And I'm doing this because I love the process of of design and creation, Uh, always thinking about how we can make things better.
0: Mm. We do always need to make things better. I would love to know more about why you're so passionate about making things better. And can you tell me a little bit more about your story and give me a sense of your role at Braun?
1: I think as designers, we we often look at the world a little bit differently. And I think I'm a typical design person going through the world with this approach of like, how can we help to make things easier to use, better serving like what people really want to do with products or with other tools. And it's something that is just uh, ingrained in me. Basically, I cannot help it. I I, I have to basically go through the world with that. And it sometimes can be also annoying, but, um, you know, it's always trying to find the better solution and uh, something that is easy to understand and where you don't have to double check and ask others or read instructions to, you know, use something um, that helps you.
0: Yes, that intuitive ease of use is something that's baked into Braun's DNA, it seems. And so I can understand why you might be a good fit there. What does your day-to-day look like at Braun?
1: Yeah, it really was that kind of very strong connection between, I think, my own beliefs and I think what you find at Braun for many, many uh, decades now um, in terms of design principles and an approach when there is a good fit there, then, of course, that, that makes it much easier because you really live your own beliefs and um, have a match with the brand's beliefs. And what I'm trying to do is to help with the team in an everyday situation to get the best solution for the next generation of products um, at Braun. Technology, as you know, is is advancing. Um, things become uh, even more capable, Form better, become smaller, you know, are easier to use. And that is not just, you know, by itself, but because we are all investing a lot of time into making it happen, making it even better than what we have at the moment. And I think that's really what consumes my everyday, which is a lot of fun.
0: It does sound like fun, especially if you have a compulsive need to look at the way things are and try to streamline them or make them better and more easier to use, more simplified So how did you find your way into the design profession? I mean, it seems like you had a clear understanding for a long time that you looked at the world in that way. What were the practical steps you took?
1: Well, I guess looking at others as well, I mean, I was, I was lucky because I knew that I wanted to do this, right? So often people have, have many different interests and aren't sure what is the right one Uh, for me. It was, was simple in that way. It was clear to me, I wanted to become a designer and I think it was also clear that it was the simplification part of design. And I grew up in the time where computers were still pretty clunky and technology products were not as easy to use as we wanted to have them. And as we probably today are using our smartphones uh, back in the 80s, uh, you know, you had to program computers to actually get something out of them. And that was one of the reasons for me to say like, hey, design really can help here, really can make a difference and uh, make life of of so many people easier. And uh, that's uh, where I started then to go into uh, technical design and appliances and computer and consumer electronics.
0: Being the head of design, it's sort of a big year. I mean, Braun was founded in 1921. So this is year 100. That's a big birthday. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) It is a big birthday, and it's it's a it's such a special thing for us, and I think for for many around us as well. Of course, when you're in the company, that's a big milestone. I think on design, it is an even bigger one because what we celebrate with it is not only hey, you have a company that was financially successful for hundred years, but it is really the heritage of what Braun and Braun Design, especially really created and and how it shaped the world around us and many other companies right and many other well-known players and and in the appliance and tech business were relating to what brown was leading at the time in the 50s as with their principles and their understanding of of design and that really is what we connect to especially this year we want to just highlight that kind of history again and heritage, and how this happened, and 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 why it's so relevant today uh, after a hundred years, um, and why it might be even more relevant than ever before to live these principles and and have a certain approach to what we then call good design.
0: I also think making it to a hundred is an incredibly powerful testament to the power of good design, and. To the idea of building things that are made to last, last long enough so that they can become iconic, and timeless. And so that legacy can also start to inform the future, like you said, not just of Braun, but of other companies who look to Braun as a example or a role model. I wonder if you can kind of dial the clock back a little bit and remind us of some of the iconic products and major milestones that Braun has been through in, in these hundred years of, of building such a a powerful heritage?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean I think there's a lot of things that, especially within the design community, you know, some products that that many people know like the Snow White Coffin, you know, the SK-4, you know, made in the, the 50s, 1955. As a broader, you know, approach to this, I think, first of all, uh, starting in the beginning, 1921, Braun was founded in Frankfurt by Max Brown. And, you know, in the beginning, you can imagine like today's startups, it was not an easy time after World War One, and, you know, in an environment where, you know, a lot of things were not developed uh, yet and then as today, you know, as, as if you would be a startup, but without venture capital, it's a hard way to make your, your journey up, um, into really creating products that are influencing other things as well and, and the industry. And Max Brown was really, uh, a, a great engineer, but also a great business person. And he was able then to, you know, go, um, and influence very, very fast. You know, after some few years, he already created his first uh, radios and, really had an impact on, uh, not in Germany only, but France and England as well and beyond uh, on, on you know, shaping the industry. Really the design, the iconic design, you know, happened was really after World War II in the 50s. Uh, Max Brown actually died suddenly in a heart, with a heart attack and his two sons, Arthur and Erwin Brown, They had to take over the company and they were very young, young guys, 28, 30. And it was a big company they had to take on. And they said, like, well, if we do this now, we will do this differently than than our father was doing it. Um, We want to have a very social oriented company. We want to be very responsible um, for not only our employees, but also with our partners and um, who we uh, do businesses with. And also the products that we do should be very honest and, and different and authentic. And they were inspired by, at the time, you know, the Museum of Modern Art in New York and, uh, you know, many of the new modern designs that came from the U.S. actually, and Charles Eames and Charles Annette Reames, furniture that you have been seeing. And so they said, like, well, what could be our way forward? And that was really when this new design understanding uh, we call it in germany haltung it's a special word that i think summarizes this kind of approach to everything it's more than just design principles it's about how you see the world and how you um with what principles you approach almost whatever you know topic and and that's what they really did at the time
0: well can you say that word again i feel like we we need a word like that in the english language say it again it's
1: uh, a ha- yeah it's haltu- haltung 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 it is something that summarizes really your principles in a as a strong belief, right? It's a mindset. It's it's something that, but it's more than that. It's it's something that connects your beliefs with your actions, and where you, you become very clear in in like what is it that you want to pursue and I think what was great for anybody at Braun in the company was that, you know with that very clear mindset with this with this Haltung, it was also clear to everybody what to achieve and what to work on and what to innovate and what was relevant. and it was all based on these principles of functionality of doing things very simple. Uh, but, you know, with a high quality. So the less but better that we heard later on, also from Dieter Rams. Mm-hmm. So we get to that later, already was ingrained in the company's approach. And that really shaped the whole approach the company was doing. And as an outcome of that, you you got all these wonderful, iconic products that just simply more or less simply, I mean, with a lot of hard work, of course, as we know, that was then almost like the outcome of that principle-based approach from uh, Erwin and Arthur Braun.
0: I love hearing about this evolution. Um, I think it's also just personally, I think it's fascinating to overlay the evolution of Braun the company with the sort of generations of the family and how evolution might occur from generation to generation in terms of ideology, but also in terms of, you know, implementation and reflecting society, what's going on around you.
1: Exactly. Personally, I think the great thing that happens when you have these very strong beliefs and the family shapes that, and of course, you know, at the time, you know, there were no shareholders involved. So it was really all about... What do we believe in, and it's our company, and how can we do something that we feel very good about? And what happens with it is, when you do that successfully, of course, that's important because otherwise you have to change, you have to change directions. But it was very successful, building up even stronger uh, the Braun brand financially, but especially also in terms of design reputation, right? Because it was a unique way of doing things. There very, very few other appliance companies going that. Direction of a modern, simple design that was uh, functional, but you know, and, and useful, but also very new in terms of radical, simple. Right? You had all these decorated products before with uh, knobs and dials in gold and fabric on the front on the radio, for example. You might know that still from your grandmother or uh, other people. And they stopped this. They they really said like, hey, this is furniture. This is decorated this is not what a radio needs all we need are these few things and and i think when you have that this then of course evolves over many years and the great thing is that it is not just then because the family believed this it is because now at a certain point it is simply part of this brand what we today probably call the brand equity and you know every brand every good brand i think is is looking into that and how to build that up That is, I think, what Braun was doing at the time, almost like automatically, right? They didn't really think about it. They just said, like, this is what we want to do. Over time, this was so strongly connected with the brand and embedded that, you know, even when the family wasn't part of Braun anymore, it just continued. And that is a fascinating thing because suddenly you can't disconnect it anymore. Braun stands for a certain way of doing things, high quality Simple to use, minimal aesthetics, uh, but very elegant, and and then you just continue to do that.
0: It's encoded into the DNA from its genesis. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Which is what allows it to continue um, and and reimagining itself, but in with the same DNA.
1: You're absolutely right, and I think once you have that, um, you know, then it things again become easy because you don't have to battle every project every year uh, about like, what do we want to do? Look at competitor A is doing this and the other guys are doing that. Uh, you have your your way forward. Often that is actually influencing, influencing much more others than they influence you. Of course, that is very, very important uh, on all this, is that you stay in very close touch, I think, with People that use your products. You have to be very intimate with them. You need to look at how they think. You have to use the products yourself. You have to figure out every little detail that could become better. As long as you do that, I think you are rewarded by getting, you know, good response and uh, hopefully over a long time. And I think that's uh, at least how it, how it worked for Braun.
0: I just had this thought, but the physical labor of designing a project is all sort of speculative and, and theoretical, and it's all a hypothesis until it's out in the world and actually being used by people. And that's the physical labor, like that's the inventive part. And then of course, you hope it it serves the population well in, in the way that it's used. But then you get all that information. And if you're using the products yourself and maintaining that intimacy with your customer, your consumer, and you're refining the products and dialing them in as you go, that's almost like the emotional labor of honoring that relationship between you and the consumer and the understanding that with the intention that you design this product to make it last long and be simple and easy to use. And you're going to keep honoring that. You're going to keep that trust maintained with the consumer. That's beautiful. (laughs)
1: I agree. And I think, you know, you, you summed it up really well. I think it's, it's about, you know, nurturing that relationship. I don't think any designer doesn't want to do that. I think what is sometimes more difficult, of course, is when the brand fundamentals don't have that built in, then for companies, this becomes more difficult because suddenly to stay true to your brand maybe means to not stay close to your user or to the person that uses the product and 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 building into the product things that aren't necessary that feel decorated or unnecessary and that is i think the the, the luck i have i have to say that right um, with being at Braun, that it is always based on these sometimes maybe not exciting and maybe a little bit more boring kind of principles of making sense right and being simple to use. And that's sometimes very hard work to make it really simple.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, that's what people don't understand is to make things simple to use. It's actually very, very difficult in the design process and requires so many iterations and refinements and edits and often a lot of innovation to get it to that place where it's simple.
1: (laughs) And of course, like I mean, we're all in a very sophisticated world now, right We assume things should be simple to use and it's all thought through and all that and again, I think many companies around the world are doing that, and they are following now these principles because of course users will will otherwise leave you know that that cosmos where it isn't easy to use because they see somewhere else I can have that easier and so I think there's competition in that and and I think we have seen for example, on the smartphone over the, the last 12 years now. I think it is a such short, short time, but, you know, the evolution of using complex technology and the amount of thinking and design work that goes into this, in this case, UX design, right? And, and how important that is to still be able to handle all these apps, all these things um, on your little smartphone. And I think this started, I think, with the Braun kind of thinking um, at the time, of course, there were no electronics, but it was household products and how to, you know, make make a cake in the simplest way. And and not only making the cake, but actually thinking about how you clean up the machine and all the parts that you were using uh, to make the cake. And if you could do that in a simpler way, there's good examples because the first kitchen machines Braun was doing were very engineered looking. A lot of sinkholes, a lot of technical bits and um, it was difficult to clean the machine. One of the things was not just to visually clean up the design that you know was done then in the fifties, and to make it more look more beautiful and more more simple, um, but simply to help the overall functional process of creating something. In that case, the the cake, and to spend less time cleaning up. Very simple.
0: <laughs> and you know, it it is a simple idea. Of course, everybody wants to spend less time cleaning up. But the net positive of that is that your quality of life and your enjoyment of cake making is dialed up. Because <laughs> it's more fun to make a cake if there's not as much uncomfortable, ugly labor involved.
1: It's a great thing that you were saying this, because we're at the moment looking very thoroughly, as you know, design has evolved to a very generally very highly sophisticated level on, on many brands. We call it job to be done, if you look into like what you actually want to achieve as a person and how this tool, if it's a a, a shaver or a beer trimmer or a kitchen machine or an iron, what is it that you actually want to achieve and what is relevant for that, you know, and how to make that process easier and faster and and also more enjoyable. Because often you can't really, because of technology limits, you cannot really improve much more in terms of performance you are already on a very high level but if so then how can you make the time you spend doing this the best time you can have um, or a better time at least you otherwise have and and that's i think where design comes in to improve the process to give you time back or give you uh, or, or make you feel better and give you a better experience when you actually use the product
0: I'm a maker myself, and I I absolutely get so frustrated when I don't have the right tool for the job or when the tool that I'm using is somehow poorly designed or not sharp or not functional in the best possible way. But when I have the the right tool for the job and the tool itself is so considered and it's balanced in your hand and when you put it down, it doesn't topple over, like when everything goes smoothly, the whole process just becomes way more zen and way more enjoyable. And I feel like I've claimed agency over my process much more than like fighting with like crappy tools. Completely
1: right, yes. I'm and so, it, re-
0: you know, resonating with the Braun philosophy of simple, useful, and built to last.
1: You know, the, the challenge of course is to, as you probably noticed as well with your tools, you find out the things that make it great tools when you use them. Right. So in, in use, you can very quickly see how this is practical or not. Sometimes you even have that with cutlery, right? Where you think this was a great design, you know, you, you bought it and then, huh, you know, the spoon doesn't really work, uh, or not as good as the other spoon. And then that's at least what I found. Um, in our kitchen, we have several different sets of cutlery and you, you suddenly tend to just use the certain one that you think works best for you. And the other ones look pretty, but they're, they're they're less used only when the other one is is probably not available or dirty, and so it's an interesting process of what intuitively in use feels best, and it's hard sometimes to communicate that. Of course, in today's world, right, where you shop things online, where it is you 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 often before you have it, um, you don't even feel it, right? You 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 don't have it in your hands, you just see it online. Maybe another product um, looks more fashionable or more trendy or has an, an, a, a more extreme color and might be, you know, shouting more. And I think that's sometimes the challenge for us, of course, as our objective is really to make the truly best product and, and how to communicate that as well to in this pretty loud world where everybody claims that and everybody says, oh, you know, even more features and and more things around it by me. The, the good thing of that kind of digital world is that, of course, with rating and re- reviews coming in and people you know, listening to others and, and their experiences when using the product, that is actually in our favor, right? Because then people tell other people how good it is when you use it. That's, I think, the other side of, of this changing virtual world where you can see, but you can't feel the product. But then you have access to others that did use the product and then give you help on recommending it or or not, right?
0: Yeah, those reviews are the same thing as word of mouth um, in the digital age. But they are also, I think, an outcropping of the trust that Braun has spent so many years engendering exactly. with its consumer. And so, I mean, when I see a Braun product, I already kind of know what kind of care and attention has gone into it. And it would be an expectation of mine.
1: And that's why it's so important to have that kind of consistency in this type of approach, right? I mean, that started then back back then, right? As I as I uh, explained, and I think what we try to do every every day, you know, with the new products, is that that we keep this. So of course, you know, new products, new innovation, new technology, normally that we build in with that, also changing ergonomics and changing how you use that. Maybe sometimes even more variety of things you can. You have a product that can not only, for example, shave, but it can also trim a beard or do other things. And and with that, you get more flexibility in use and also can experiment, for example, on how you look and how you craft your beard or or, or if you actually want to have a beard or, or if you look better with a beard. So there's some exploration in, in like also how you show up yourself, um, not in just making other things. And we want to enable that, but then it always has to be on that high level of what you just said um you know the trust that you that people have in the brand and that we deliver on um that this is a product that you can have around for many years, both in terms of functionality, so it lasts you're right it it it's not breaking, but then also on the design side, um you want to have it around for many years because it even after some years it still looks good and appropriate and calm, right? It's not shouting, here I am, here, you know, I'm neon colored and, you know, have lots of things around me. And then it it very quickly becomes last year's fashion. And then I think, you know, you just don't want to have the product around, even if it would work. And that, of course, I personally think is not, not what design is. Uh, design is really to keep it um, around you, as long as it works. I
0: I agree with you. I also think that personally, I am really fascinated and interested in the long-term relationship that people form with their objects. And the more that it stays in your life, the more stories get embedded into it and the more memories it helps to trigger and the more meaning it has. And so just throwing things away in a, on a regular frequency also is a is a weird sort of erasing of your own life and your own activities. It is. I don't think it's healthy.
1: <laughs> it is not. And you, you're completely right. And I think there is another aspect to it, which is the environmental sustainability element of that. Because there is, of course, many approaches to this. And I'm thankful that a lot of designers today are looking into that more and more and feel responsible to push things into using, you know, biodegradable materials, um, but then also, you know, helping to construct things so they last longer. Because again, the the longer a product uh, is useful, the more sustainable at the end um, this all becomes. Because, you know, just creating a new product is taking so much, even if it is used short or long. But the, the more you use it, the longer you use it, the longer it takes for you to buy another one that does the same thing we have at least one element of pushing us in the right direction in terms of sustainability.
0: Yes, yes. So in addition to a, a timeless appeal, which both nurtures the trust and the long-term relationships, but also is sustainable in and of itself, Braun has always maintained a finger on the pulse. I mean, you you talked about young designers, Uh, You've talked about the evolution of the company. You talked about technology and innovation always being a part of the Braun ethos. So I'm interested in, after 100 years, how is Braun looking at the future? And I know that uh, you recently conducted a global study. I'd love to hear about this study and what you found.
1: Yeah, and it's good that you're touching on that. Because, again, creating enduring products and, let's say, more timeless design doesn't mean... You don't have to look into the future. It's actually the opposite. You want to bring those principles into the future to help creating a better future. What we were doing then, we're trying to find out: is is that relevant today? And is it just in our brawn minds, right? And we're speaking to ourselves, or is that also connecting? And uh, the, the the great thing was that in this study that we were doing. With uh, Gen Z people aged 18 to 24, this was U.S., China, Japan, Germany, France, um, across. So it's not just one market. But in general, there's a very strong belief or appetite for useful products that are you know, inclusive, so that are usable by many people. So it's not just something for somebody but then you're telling others hey this is not a product for you so usability inclusivity was highly ranked four four out of five uh, people agreed that this is that this is super important for products and then um, of course functionality the same thing here three and four out of the people we asked and these were over 2500 people um, in that age group saying like hey of course a new product must be useful and needs to be functional right first rather than decorated or useless. Um, I think there was something also about you know having been being a good investment, especially when you don't have that much money, right? How do you spend it on and what do you spend it on and then of course the the growing element of sustainability that more than than half said like hey i I need to make sure that whatever I buy here I'm not making a bigger damage to the world than than needed. So what we call overall like good design in terms of making sense, making the right things is something that is today highly relevant across the markets, across the different cultures and within this, this young uh, age group. And that we find really encouraging because when you believe in this, of course, you know, you're not just using your own products. Uh, other, you want to have others using your products and buying into your beliefs. And uh, this shows our success, I think, in the market as well shows that, that, we're following the right principles.
0: Yes, you're aligned with the Haltung of the Gen Z generation. And, you know, it can be very difficult to be out front and first in some way, which Braun was historically, and you've built momentum and foundation uh, with your brand DNA. So I, I want to talk about the Braun prize for sure, because that's a That's huge. But I also would love to hear about the Virgil Abloh collaboration.
1: Oh, and that was huge as well. And so you're right. There's many ways of how we can influence others. And I think in today's world, obviously, you need to create news that are interesting and exciting and uh, worth, I think, mentioning because there's so much going on. What we thought about was then to really partner with Virgil as a design rock star and and superstar, very well known, very influential, a, a, a great person a fantastic designer and and connect with him and collect also his thoughts and ideas on how to interpretate these principles, right? And these very functional based kind of uh, design approach. And because it is something where first sight, you would say, well, is that Virgil Abloh? And that's why I think we were interested into that, right? Having that collaboration and seeing how this fantastic person could interpretate what the Braun beliefs are about. And that's where we started, right? First, I think, um, with the collaboration on the alarm clocks, you know, where Off-White, I think, we're doing a version uh, on this one, which was super um, exciting and interesting, you know, with the the different colors Mm -hmm. they were coming up with. And then, especially for the 100 years now, what we call functional art piece, it was taking the... And here again, another German word. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sorry for that. Wandanlage, which is the name for the uh, stereo or the the wall unit that uh, Dieter Rams at the time. I mean, we have to talk about Dieter Rams here in this uh, context uh, as well. I mean, Dieter Rams was the head of design for over 35 years at Braun. He was, you know, the mastermind behind um, all those fascinating, iconic products that we have been, you know probably seeing online on on whatever design channel Mm -hmm. and uh, he really is a more remarkable you know design person guiding the team and you know living the brand I think more than anybody else and he created this uh, you know special wall unit Um, it was a radio uh, record player and speaker system that you can put on the wall as a stereo unit. And that was the end of the 50s, uh, beginning of the 60s. And that Virgil then took on and said like, well, you know, I don't really want to make a big change here. What if I bring this together with a different type of culture that ki- that I come from, which is then taking the kind of polished metal surfaces that we see in a lot of, you know, valuable goods and and jewelry and other things, and, and elevate it and bring it into that world and combining the functionality and fascination of what was there with kind of today's, you know, more shininess and, and I would say uh, attractiveness that comes with this material um, approach of, of polished steel and, and polished metal. And that's how he brought that together. And it's a fascinating piece. You know, it's, it's only one piece that, that he created, uh, Virgil, you know, was was bringing this this whole wall unit into like a shiny metal.
0: Yeah, the sort of polished chrome of the of the hip hop. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful.
1: <laughs> and it's it's an interesting kind of bringing two worlds together that that still stays true, you know, to Braun because back in the '50s, '60s, you know, we were doing actually a lot of chrome products as well, not with this kind of wall unit, but with um, toasters and. Uh, you know, kitchen products, uh, where we where we use that as well. So it's true to our heritage in a way, but then, you know, applied differently. Remixed. Exactly. <laughs> and it's also a great conversation piece, because obviously, you know, there's people that love it. There's people that are thinking like, hey, what have you done? And that's, I think, what design and culture needs to do today, right? Because there's So much um, is available. And what we need to do today is, I think, to bring awareness of, like, why do I use products and what is my relationship to it, right? Do I buy them and throw them away and then don't care? Or do I think about it? Do I invest some meaning into what I'm doing here? And I might buy the better product and I might keep it longer and I might be more happy.
0: So you mentioned the Braun Prize earlier, and this is something that is currently underway right now. You're hosting the 21st Braun Prize International Design Competition with a theme of Shape Tomorrow. And the prize is $100,000, no strings attached. And I think this is a pretty amazing and supportive endeavor to support the future of design and innovative thinking to address the challenges of today and tomorrow, and also to support young designers. So can you tell me all about it and give me an overview of the competition?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you touched on it already, and we, we talked about it earlier on bringing maybe this mindset of Braun and, you know, this type of approach to design into a young generation of designers. I think that's the core motivation um, that already was there in 1968 when the Braun Prize was conducted the first time, right? So we're 53 years later at the 100 years of uh, University of Braun, there's a commitment behind this. And there is not just like, hey, you know, we do a design competition because it's fashionable, but we, we strongly believe into that this approach to design is building the brand is as its core. And it's also helping others, I think, to do good design in other categories. And I think that's really where we want to connect to the young designers, the young and up, up and coming uh, design talents that, you know, will go to whatever company or do their own thing and will help to, shape the world and create this, the design of the future. When we are you know, already retired, um, they're going to probably take over and um, hopefully shape the, the, the world to a better future. And we want to start influencing the way we can, right, for helping them to get the right mindset for that, what we think is the right mindset. And that really is the motivation behind the, the Brown Prize.
0: Well, and let's not deny there's a very serious leg up given with that prize money and also the support and visibility and encouragement that comes from winning a prize like this or even just entering the competition. Um, you're creating an ecosystem and a kind of relationship with the future of design that says to them, we are your ally and we are, we are here to, f- to fertilize the soil that you're growing in.
1: Exactly. And I think it's something, as you said, I mean, there's no strings attached, right? Different to, I do think, almost every other design price out there. This is not about making money or making this an industry or doing things first because of of business. It really is more about building your brand or maintaining your brand connection to design, of course. But then... Um, in a way that it hopefully helps each of these individual young design talents that invest so much as a professor for design, you know, I, I do know, you know, there's so much emotional work and actual work and physical time that you know students spend on projects, and that you know they're investing into new thoughts and new ideas. and you know, with the time they have um, available, doing something new and different that could change the world that yes, also gets them through the university and uh, gets them, you know, good grades. But then beyond that, normally in design, right, your work is your entry into the next level of either, you know, employment or opening your own firm. I mean, it, it's, it's all about the quality of the work. And so we want to support that. We, we think this is worth doing that. So anybody then that's why I can enter. There's no fee for entering it. And then, again, there is the 100,000 U.S. dollars that we want to just give to the best uh, young talents around the world that we think have done some exceptional concept work and thinking, especially, and that we want to reward and and award with that, give some publicity as well, which is a very important element for anybody in design, right? I mean, how do I become noticed? And um, that's, I think, where the the Brown Prize can help.
0: So this is obviously open to young, young designers and it's a juried competition. So can you talk to me about who's on the jury and what the timeline for events is? Um, when are submissions closed and when will the winner be announced?
1: I mean, first of all, it's, it's for any student and it's for young professionals, meaning like everybody up to like five years in the business, because we wanted to just focus on that generation Of people that are still evolving and influencing um, later on then. Submission is now, and we changed this, is now open till end of September. Because of the 100 years of Braun, we had uh, a very late start on the price. And uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, whoever wants to submit has enough time and and a chance to to do so. Uh, Then in uh, October, we have a fantastic Jury that is just confirmed, and I can give a quick overview who's who's on the jury, and they will work very hard in October to then go through all those. And last time in 2018, we had over 3,000 submissions—3,000, 3, oh. I think, 87. Wow, that's incredible! So it's a lot incredible. of work yeah. we have to go through that. So the jury is—it's uh, a—it's an honor, and it's also a lot of work. But again, we have Virgil Abloh in the in the jury, which is great because we had the connection with him. He was happy to to uh, give us give us his time as well for the uh, for the jury session. We have uh, Gary Huswit. he's a US filmmaker and visual artist, and very connected to
0: Braun because he
1: did the Dieter Rams film um, lately.
0: And objectified. Gary Hustwit is a personal friend and also a, a previous podcast guest
1: perfect excellent and and so he's going to be a great addition to the jury you know also looking at braun and design from a I would call it a mega perspective right so not just you know doing the design and evaluated evaluating how how people are if that's good or not but also you know the meaning of it and the bigger picture and I think he's going to be great help on 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 doing this then we have uh, Cecile Muns, a fantastic uh you know, uh, d- design, uh, designer, a female designer in uh, with her studio in Denmark. You know, doing a lot of great uh, product design. Uh, late, I mean, over the last years, uh, we have Sukwo Lee, a very I would call him a, a Korean design superstar. I mean, a, a coming, you know, design person that has already created uh, created so many great products, and we wanted to have his expertise also from his kind of cultural point of view. And then Ning Li, the same, I think, coming from China, I think in terms of bringing that type of new uh, design culture that we see uh, coming up, she's a head of design at Xiaomi, so very influential as well in terms of like product design and, and shaping new products. And then um, lastly, but but you know, I, I was super happy that we could get her, Johanna Schumacher, uh she's a former 2009 bronze prize winner so um and, and a and a young design star that basically now is doing both you know fair trade jewelry but then also a lot of technical products so really across the categories designing things and having a former winner i think in the jury as well i found really interesting because um it gives you in the discussions that we will have in the jury session it will give you a different perspective on like uh you know, coming almost like from the inside out and and maybe explaining also the motivation of why why somebody submitted a certain type of, of work. So I'm looking forward to uh, to this. Of course, there is Stefan Schamberg in the jury. He's the head of R&D at Braun and myself as the chairman. So we have a big, but, you know, I think a really good, group of people and a lot of people that are, are going to help us in terms of you know preparing the jury session you know looking at you know are their products are already existing with this type of concept or idea because sometimes you have people that are not the first ones creating something and so you have to of course in today's world search and, and look for those type of things as well to enable them the jury to to judge the best uh, work uh, in, in totality.
0: That is a really fantastic jury group. I am very excited for this. And I, I'm dying to know since the competition was started in 1968, and you have a previous winner on the jury. Clearly, there have been some really memorable designs submitted over the years. Can you can you tell me about a few of those?
1: You have seen different topics depending also what happened in the world. So we we have seen alarm systems for emergency uh, things. And that was, you know, after things happened in the world in terms of uh, earthquakes or tsunamis or those type of things. So so people are reacting to what is happening out there. We, of course, see a lot of medical products, which are by by its nature already useful and, and um, that are making sense, right? And they're helping to save people's lives. So obviously there's a good fit to the Braun Prize. So we see a lot of entries there. What I found um, really normally most most interesting are the more polarizing projects where you have somebody submitting, or a group of people, or a group of students submitting work that is pretty controversial. I, I give an example. We had, um, I think it was 2012, we had a group um, of students, four students from the Royal College of Art in London, submitting. Yeah, a concept that was named Ento, and it was about um, the art of eating insects. Wow. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, so normally, at least, you know, many of the Western culture and then people here, we would probably shy away from eating in- insects. For some of us, it's it's gross, right? We we don't really want to uh, do that and, and even think about it unless we, we have to. And so what they were doing then saying like, well, look, um, now... We understand that. Um, still at the same time, it might be a solution to our worldwide food dilemma that we have, right? We're, we're eating animals. Um, animals, you know, create a lot of carbon dioxide. Um, there's, you know, the, the meat issue in terms of all the discussion that we're, we're having about the quality of meat and what it causes and, and the, the, the land it takes, you know, to feed them. And of course, creating protein that in a different way might be a better way. And so they said like, well, let's look into that. Insects are high in protein, low in fat and cholesterol and, and rich in vitamins and minerals. And, uh, so. And crunchy. They said like, well, designed and crunchy. Well, <laughs> yeah. depending on how you, uh,
0: and prepare, how you prepare them. them, yes. you
1: prepare them. <laughs> they created these beautiful, beautiful sushi, like creations of, of food, um, including then the, the insects um, of course, in a not visible way anymore. Right. So you, you, you uh, uh, take them and you change the, the way they they look like and, and you just make beautiful, almost art like, you know, food arrangements um, similar to sushi and, and then, you know, test basically if, if people would be willing, willing then to, to give it a try. And they were very successful at that. and, And I found that an amazing use of design, where design actually changes something from, no, I would never actually even think about it, to, hmm, I'll try that and maybe actually I stay with that.
0: Yeah, that's actually really compelling to solve the world's food problem through just Flipping that little switch in people's minds that makes it seem unpalatable because to of, palatable
1: because of the way you design it, right? Yeah, and I, think that I found that a very interesting insight. Of course, we still at the award ceremony, we had a lot of discussions about it, and very it was very polarizing. But it was the it was the talk of the night, right? About is that is that good or not? Is it the right thing or not? Should we award it or not? And I found that really healthy and and uh, fresh as in in terms of. That this is the role that design should have in terms of creating these possibilities, right? It's a concept award. It's not awarding final products, but it's it's ideas and thoughts. And if these thoughts are you know sometimes provocating, then that is a good thing, right? Because then we we think about if we should change ourselves, or is it maybe the product that should change?
0: I'm so excited to, to learn about this year's entries and, and who wins. And I hope that somehow I'll get a little bit of a window into the jury process. I know you probably have to keep that under wraps until the winner is announced, but <laughs> personally, I'm dying to be a fly on the wall. Uh, when you discuss and deliberate all of these projects for our listeners, can you, can you quickly shout out where people can go to find out about the Braun Prize and see this Virgil Abloh collaboration?
1: Yes, you can go to brawnprize.org. So brawnprize, as one word, dot O-R-G. Um That's where you find everything about the competition. And also on the bronze website that is connected to it, uh, you find more about our activities um, and also Virgil Abloh. So And to learn just about the company more about it and the principles behind it. And I agree with you. I'm just looking forward, hopefully, that there's equally great and exciting uh, submissions this year so we can have, you know, great discussions within the jury. You know, every three years, such a big and great thing to do, uh, to step also out of your kind of business environment and then, you know, support the young young generations and also, you know, uh, broaden your mind, right? You can imagine for all the jury members and myself, this is a great thing to do because you think differently, different categories, anything that comes, you know, and is submitted is suddenly something that you have to think about. And so it's a great process to, to um, be open and stay open and and think differently and think very um, holistically.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I believe it 100%. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your philosophies and and everything about this competition with me. I'm super excited about it. And we'll stay tuned to see who wins and uh, follow the showcasing of that project.
1: I'm looking forward to it. And like anybody who's listening in and likes to submit or know somebody who maybe could submit, I think, you know, encourage them to do so. The word money I think we we happily spend on people that you know basically build our future right There's some commitment I think that that young generation you know is asking for and I think you know we we want to give them um this they have great ideas they see things differently and and my hope is that they come up with solutions that are different because they might not think the same way we do and and that is something that we really want to support and and hopefully you know that over the long term, you know, builds up a better future for all of us.
0: Well, thank you for that. <laughs> we all need a better future. And you are doing the hard physical and emotional and creative labor that goes into doing that. So bravo. <laughs> thank you so much, Oliver. This has been such a wonderful conversation.
1: And thank, thank you so much for having me. And uh, hopefully we can together all, you know, create good design, better design and do that together and make it the best we can do.
0: Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Braun Prize, go to BraunPrize.org. To see images and read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app, or go to CleverPodcast.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would, please do us a favor and rate and review. It really does help other people find these stories. We also love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast, and you can find me at Amy Devers. Clever is produced by 2VDE Media, with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Ilana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011.